Welcome to Crosspoint. And have you ever had one of those moments where you look in the mirror and you think, man, I got to change? Or you just look in the mirror and you're like, I've got to, I've got to make some changes. Things have to be different. I want to be different. And maybe it was after making a series of bad decisions, or maybe it was after a relapse, or, or maybe there was a relationship that's sideways, or maybe you're just feeling lost or, or stuck in life. Have you ever had one of those moments where you're like, I need to change? That's why we're doing this series. Series called Crafted, where we're talking about how by the power of the Spirit of God, God, God works in our lives and He transforms us and He changes us to make us more like Jesus. If you wonder, what is God up to? What does God want to do in my life? Well, He wants to grow you and mature you to be more like Christ. And so in that conversation, we've been we've talking about, you can go back and listen, we've been talking about how God uses solitude, community, and ministry to do that. And today we're talking about ministry. I remember when I was a kid, my dad would take me on Saturday mornings to go get my hair cut. And, uh, and we would go to uh, Big Scissors. That was the barbershop that we go to. And, and Gene would cut hair there. And Gene smelled like he bathed in aftershave. But, um, or brute cologne. I can't remember. But like, I remember being sat in the chair. And when I'd sit down, like all the walls were covered with mirrors. Like one of those old school barbershops where there's just mirrors all around. And if you lined it up just right, you could you see a reflection of a reflection of a reflection of a reflection. You know what I'm talking about? And it was like everywhere you looked, there you were. Everywhere you looked, it was, it was impossible to get away from focusing on you. Our world is constructed like that old barbershop. Whereas like everywhere we look, we are conditioned to focus on ourselves. Through social media and advertising and marketing, there's just conditioning where we focus on ourselves, where we would be preoccupied with ourselves, with our needs and our wants and our desires and our comforts and attention on self. There is a gravitational world or pull in our world to cause us to focus on ourselves. I'll prove it to you. When you're with some friends and they're like, hey, we should get a picture and a group photo is taken and then the, the picture gets taken and everybody looks at it. Who's the person that you look at? You. You focus on yourself and you look at yourself. And if you look good, I mean, everybody else could have their eyes closed just like this. But if you look good, you're like, that's a good picture. Go ahead and post it. No matter what everybody else looks like, the person we focus on is us. We are conditioned in that way. There are, there are two ways to walk into a room. We can walk into a room like this. We can walk in and say, here I am. Or we can walk in and say, there you are. But we live in a here I am world. In Greek mythology, there was a story about a young man named Narcissus was his name. And he was a beautiful young man. And he was so good looking that one day he was walking along in the forest and he came upon a pool and he looked down in the pool and for the first time in his life, he saw his reflection in that pool. He was so drawn to his reflection, so enamored with his reflection that he drowned himself in the pool. It's a real feel-good story. <laughs> but the tragedy of narcissists is that we could become so preoccupied with ourselves that we waste our lives. And the tragedy of narcissists happens when we become so focused on self that we miss the life that God has for us. Now, the gospel rescues us from self-preoccupation. 
The gospel rescues us from self-preoccupation because what we find in the gospel is that we don't, we don't discover, we don't find who we are and who we're made to be by focusing on ourselves. We discover who we are by focusing on God and focusing on others. Author Tim Keller calls this a healthy self-forgetfulness. Isn't that a good phrase? That when we become about God and his will for our lives and we become about loving and serving and caring for others, there is a healthy self forgetfulness. And that's the best version of us. That's who God has called us to be, to be other focused. The gospel rescues us from this because when we see in the gospel is that Jesus is the center of the universe, that you or I are not center of the universe, that it doesn't all revolve around us, that we're not the, the center of it all, but that Jesus is in Colossians chapter one. There's this great passage where it talks about the preeminence of Christ and it talks about the, the entire universe revolves around him. This is Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that he created all things. He is before all things. He holds all things together. So Jesus at the center of the universe and in the, the gospel is that when we take the one who is at the center of the universe and we make him at the center of our lives, we align our lives with reality. You know what reality is? It's the way things really are. And so when we pull Jesus to the center of our lives, we align our lives with what is true, that he is king, that he is Lord, that he is CEO over all. And we bring our lives and we bring an alignment with that truth. And today is Baptism Sunday. And I love Baptism Sunday. Why? Because every person who is baptized, they're aligning their lives with that truth. Saying, Jesus, be the center of my life. You're, Jesus is already the center of the universe. He's already the center of the world. The question is, is he the center of your life? And baptism is that immersion into that truth. Jesus said, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Baptize them into that reality that there is a relationship with God. So have you ever taken that step? And many today have it on the calendar. Maybe there are some today where you didn't have it planned, but God had it planned for you. And we've got planned, got it planned for you. We got everything you need to be baptized today. Change of clothes, deodorant, hair product, whatever you need. But that today could be the day where you align your life through baptism and go in public and letting other people know you're following Jesus. So in that old bar barbershop, I learned a trick. And the trick in that old barbershop is that if I angled myself just right with the mirror, I could actually use that mirror to see my father. Over in the little waiting area, I could use that mirror to see my dad. I could focus on me or I could angle the mirror to see my father. When scripture says that we've been made in the image of God, theologian N.T. Wright talks about the angled mirror. He said that our lives are made in the image of God in that we've, we've been created like a, like a 45 degree, y'all look good. Like, don't focus on yourself. Y'all um like a 45 degree mirror where our lives would image God, that through our lives, people would see a reflection of God's love and his care and his goodness and his mercy, that through our lives, people would be able to see God. And that any praise and any glory and any honor that we receive would be reflected back to him. That anytime we get glory and things that we would offer that back to God, but that our lives would, would demonstrate and show Christ, that we would image God. In Colossians 1, it said that Jesus is the image of God. 
Meaning he is the perfect image of God. If you want, he told the disciples, he's like, if you want to know what the father, the disciples are like, Jesus, show us the father. Jesus like, I've been with you all this time. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Here's what that means. Jesus is perfect theology. If you're studying theology, you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. He is perfect theology. Jesus is the image, the perfect image of God. And we see in Christ's life, he shows us what, what God looks like. And so what God wants to do is he wants to form Christ in us so that we would image God to the world also. So that we would be like that mirror, that 45 degree mirror and reflect Christ. And this is the process of sanctification. This is what we're talking about in this series that God is using through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's doing a work in our lives to chip away the things that are not Christ so that what's re what remains would be Christ-likeness, that he would make us more like Jesus. And we've been looking at a passage, Ephesians chapter chapter two. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. It's been, a, it's been like our key, key passage for this series. The key verse for this series has been Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. But we're going to roll it back to verse eight and we're going to read it in context today. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, for it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork, or we are God's masterpiece, or we are God's work of art. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. First thing I want us to see is that we are not saved by good works. We are not saved by good works. Nobody's gonna get to heaven. And the question I ask, how'd you get here? And say, you know what? I'm a good person. I was a good person. I, I got my steps in every day. I ate salads for lunch. I paid my taxes. I went to church, didn't miss church. I drove a Prius. I voted in every election. I recycled. I served on the HOA and on the PTA. That's how I got. No, nobody's going to get to heaven by good works. Good works aren't what get us into heaven. We are saved by grace through faith. In fact, in Romans 6.23, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We deserve death because of our sin. Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the grace of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, through putting our faith and our trust in Jesus and the finished work of the cross. That's the gospel. Gospel means good news. That's why it's good news, because it's by grace through faith that we're saved. Not by good works, lest anybody would boast. Let anybody, lest anybody would walk into heaven and go, here I am. There's going to be no strutting into heaven. No, here I am in heaven. There's going to be a, there he is. There he is. And it's by what the finished work of the cross, by what Jesus has done. That's the only way that we have access to the Father. That's the only way that we have eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, no one is saved by good. We're not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. See, that's, that's what we were saved for. It's not like God forgave us of our sin, did a little cosmic accounting, <laughs> you know, forgave our sin debt so that we could go on and live however we want, so that we could live a life for self. We have been saved so that we would live a life for God and for others, 
so that our lives would image Christ, so that we would be a restored, a redeemed, a repaired image so that we could image Christ to others. That's, and I love this. He says, there are good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do, that he's prepared in advance for you to do. This is your ministry. Look at your neighbor and say, you have a ministry. Well, say you have a ministry too. Every day, I want you to see you wake up and there is ministry for you to do. That word ministry, the root word goes to serve God and serve others. There is ministry for you to do every single day. Have you ever looked in the mirror and wonder, why am I here? You wonder, why am I here on this planet? Why am I alive? Maybe even you thought, you know what? I don't have a purpose. That's not true. If you want to know if you have a purpose, you just take that mirror and you breathe on it. And if it fogs, you have a purpose. Because if you have a pulse, you have a purpose. If you're breathing, God has work for you to do. Work that he's prepared in advance for you to do. God has gone before you and he's got good works that he's prepared. So you have ministry in that day. He's got things that he's thought of. He's given purpose. He's given, he's put usefulness in your life. He's given you gifts in your life. There are things, there is a divine assignment that God has for that day. There is ministry for you to do, to serve God and to serve others. You have a ministry. When I graduated uh, from, from college, uh, the first thing I did was I, I went and got a job. And, uh, and I got, my first job was vice president of advertising and marketing. Um, don't be impressed. It was, it was my father's company and there were only five employees and we were all vice president of something. So, um, but in, <laughs> I like that you laugh. That made me smile. Um, we, uh, so I went and went and worked for his company and I, I, a great company. And, uh, and it was a, it was a great opportunity. And as I was, and we were having conversations, he was preparing me to one day lead the company. And I worked there for about six, about six months and began to like, this is not, this is not my story. This is not what I was made to do. I began to feel this sense that I was to be a pastor, to become a pastor. And one of the hardest conversations I've had in my life was to, to walk into his office and, and say, dad, we need to talk. And I told him, dad, I can't do this. I need to become a pastor. And I'll never forget, he got up and he walked around the desk and he went and put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Kevin, I bless you. And I was like, and he said, now what? Because he knew I had a plan. Like he knew there was, I said, well, now I need to start seminary, pastor school. And, uh, and he said, well, when are you going to do that? I said, well, they've got the extension campus down the street. I'll do it Mondays from 9 to 9, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. And, uh, and he said, well, you still got to work a 40 the rest of the week. And so that's what we did for three years. Went to school 9 to 9 and worked a 40 the rest of, rest of the week because dad wasn't going to, just because I was a son, didn't mean I was going to get any, uh, any favor there. And so I uh, so did that for, for three. And can I tell you one of the things that just drove me crazy during that time. Okay, thank you. I will. Uh, one of the things that drove me crazy is that people would come to me and say, so, so when are you going into full-time ministry? So when are you going to do ministry full-time? And it drove me crazy. You know why? Because I already was. I was already doing ministry full-time. Reeve was teaching high school math. That's full-time ministry. She was coaching cheerleading. That's full-time ministry. She was leading FCA. That's full-time ministry. I was doing advertising and marketing for my dad's company. That's full-time ministry. I was, I was serving with a nonprofit. That's, that's full-time ministry. We were leading a small group. Like that's, that's full-time ministry. 
All those things together, I was already doing full-time ministry. Full-time ministry is not something that's reserved for people who are on staff at a church. Full-time ministry is the calling that goes along with every follower of Jesus. Once you've given your life to Jesus, you're in full-time ministry. He has a ministry for you to do. It's this idea, we, we call it, when, we, when, you know, when you go back and you look at 1 Peter and you look at Revelation, we call it the priesthood of the believers. The priesthood of all believers. In, that in the Old Testament, to become a priest means that you can approach God. As a, as a priest, it means that you've been chosen. As a priest, it means that you've been set apart. As a priest, it means that you're a representative of God, like that 45-degree mirror. In Christ, in the new covenant, the moment you, pr you trust Jesus, the moment you put your faith in him, you, you have been given access to God. You don't need a mediator to get to God. Jesus is that mediator. He laid his life down so that you can access. So now you can draw as close to God. You can approach the throne of God with boldness and confidence because of the priesthood of believers. You, you are a priest in that sense. You can draw near to him as close as you want to be. You have been chosen. He picked you. You are a first round draft pick. You have been set apart. You are a representative of God. This is the work of God. This is what we call the priesthood of believers. And so now as a, as a pastor, as a pastor, our job, all pastors, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry because you have a ministry. What you do every day is your ministry. So now it's less about what you do and more about why you do it. Now it's less about your position at the company and more about your disposition at the company. It's less about, less about your vocation and more about your motivation. It's less about where you drive to on Monday morning and more about what drives you every morning. If we were the kind of church that said amen, that would have been a good place for it. <laughs> and maybe we should become that kind of church because that's like pouring kerosene on this preacher's fire. <laughs> you have a ministry, you are in full-time ministry and it's our responsibility as pastors and shepherds and leaders. Look at first, uh, Ephesians chapter four, verse 11. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So our job as pastors, as leaders, those who work at the church, we're all, all of us together in full-time ministry, but it's our responsibility to help equip you, the saints. You're like, who's a saint? Just take your finger and go like this. If you're in Christ, you're a saint. That word means set apart. You've been set apart for the ministry that he has for you, for the church, for the body of Christ, to equip for the work of the ministry. So what I want to do in the rest of the time we have, I want to talk through four areas of ministry that you have. Four areas of ministry that you have. Just to remind us, as part of us being equipped for the work of the ministry. The first one, and we're going to spend a whole lot of time on it, but I do want to mention it because I think it's the most important. And the first is the ministry at home. Ministry at home. Um, for, for me and in my life right now, it's my, my wife and my kids. Uh, for you, it may be mom, dad, brother, sister, grandparents, caring for Asian parents, parents who are getting a little bit older. We, we all have a ministry at home in those relationships that are closest to us. My friend Dave says, Kevin, remember, he said, there will always be people in your church, but there won't always be children in your home. 
It's ministry at home. And with all the demands and all the requirements and all the requests and all the things that come in, um, this can be a struggle. And I'm reminded that when my wife and my kids don't feel like a priority, that's a problem. And so I have to make changes in that because my most important ministry is ministry at home. The second is ministry at work. This is your ministry at work. And when I say work, if you're a student, you'll get out of this. School is your job. It's what you're called to right now. And here's what I mean. Work, work existed. Let's just theologically, work existed before the fall. So work is not a product of the fall of Adam and Eve's sin. Work existed before. They were placed in a garden to work the garden. How they cultivated, how they tended, how they worked, the dominion that they had in that garden was a way that they imaged God before the fall. So work is not a product of the fall. Work existed before the fall. And work is one of the ways that we reveal God's glory. But what happened after the enlightenment, what happened that there was this division that took place in the mind of people between the secular and the sacred. Hang with me. Secular, there are secular jobs and sacred jobs. There are secular jobs and there are spiritual jobs. This, this division does not exist in the mind of God and in the heart of God. There's no division between the secular and the sacred. It's all spiritual to God. So no matter what your job is, it's your ministry. Whether it's education or design or maybe you're a songwriter or maybe you're in real estate or maybe you're an author or a lawyer or a manager or a leader or a creative type or maybe, maybe you're an entrepreneur and maybe, maybe you're a coach or maybe you're in the C-suite or maybe a cashier or a first responder or you're in healthcare or food service or maybe hospitality or, or, or entertainment or marketplace or retail or media or business or sports um, or if I left you out, um, you're not left out. Your job, <laughs> unless your job is inherently immoral or unethical, your job is your ministry. And your work is one of the ways that you reflect God's glory. It's that, it's that mirror. I want you to listen in, the, in light of that. I want you to hear Colossians 3.23 in the message version. It says, do what you're told by your earthly masters and don't just do the minimum that'll get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, for God, confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. And keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. Just because somebody puts a fish on their business card or on their bumper, it doesn't cover up bad work. How we work is a reflection of who God is. It's your ministry. Man, I just think about that. When you see somebody do their work in a way that, that reflects God, like it just, it, you can't help but see it. I think about earlier this week, I went and put together, Rhea and I were putting together a care package for one of our daughters at college. And I went to, I went to Kroger to go put this together. And Rhea sent me a list, you know, the, the text message with the list of the things to get. And I wander around, I daughter around the store trying to find the things. And I, I went in, I'm trying to find, but then I see this, this little mason jar of flowers. And I'm like, that's perfect. She would love that. And so I was like, I'm gonna get this. And so I got those and I put them in the cart and I'm pushing the cart. And, and just right after I put them in the cart, they just boom, boom. And water's just boom, 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 boom. 
And now there's just a big puddle of water. And so then in those, I had the moment, I have, a, I have this gift of seeing the future. I just saw like that, that spill and then like, I'm just like, but you know what I'm saying? I could see this, um, this, this elderly person kind of walking along, slipping and then falling and like breaking their hip, you know, in that moment. And I'm like, I'm like, well, that can't happen. And so, so then I did a MacGyver move and I was just like, well, if I keep the cart over the spill, then we'll all be okay. And, but I need to find somebody to help me clean. Y'all, y'all see the predicament I'm in. And so I'm, I'm really feeling helpless in that moment. I look over and I see this guy and he's got on a blue shirt and I'm like, well, I'm a Kroger and you know, people work there, have blue shirts. I say, hey, excuse me, I'm sorry, but I, I spilled something. I'm, I feel so sorry. Can I get some paper towels? He said, oh, no, 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 I'll get some paper towels. He's like, I'll take care of some paper towels and I'll, I'll clean that up for you. He said, but your flowers. And he said, you need some water in here. Do you need some water in here? I was like, yeah. And he goes over and he takes the flowers over and he, he goes over to floral. And I don't know what he did. He had like wire cutters on his hip. So I don't know what his job was. But right now in this moment, he's a florist. And so he's putting, he's putting water in there and he's like filling it up and he fills it up. And then he goes to hand it back to me. He's like, oh, you need, some, you need some, of that, some of this. And he gets one of those packets like with the magic um, flower dust. You know what I'm talking about? Like that you put in there and like they live forever. And so like he, he's like, he put, like, this guy's into it. And he puts this in there and then he goes and gives it to me. And I'm like, well, thanks. You know, and I, I take it walking. He's like, no, 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 wait. And then he comes back and he comes back with, I don't know where he had to go to get this, but he comes back with this cardboard box and he folds it up and does this, you know, magical origami thing where he folds it up and he gives it to me. And in that moment he goes, hey, just put the flowers in here. That way you put it in your car. You can like put the seatbelt around it and it won't tilt over in your car. I'm like, what just happened? I'm like, this guy, I mean, you would have thought I was buying a car. These are $12 flowers. I go, bro, what's your name? He said, Glenn. I said, Glenn, can I take a picture with you? Because I want to tell some friends about you. And so I took a picture. And so this is Glenn. Um, this is me and Glenn. And so, <laughs> this is Glenn. And so I took a picture. And so I'm just telling some friends about, about Glenn. And like for Glenn, like it, was just, it, was just, it was just a Monday morning. But Jesus called what Glenn did the second mile. In Matthew in Matthew chapter 5, verse 41, he says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now, in that day, the Jewish people, they were oppressed by the Romans. And so the Romans could require them by law. A Roman, Roman soldier could say, hey, carry my soldier pack for one mile. And they had these milestones along the road. And so the Roman soldier could require it. And he said, imagine this Jewish teenager hearing Rabbi Jesus teach this. And so a Roman soldier comes along and says, hey, carry my pack one mile. That Jewish teenager puts on his pack and he begins to carry it and he carries it one mile and then he remembers where Jesus said, don't just carry it one mile, carry it two. And so where everybody else would have put the, put the pack down, he kept walking. And that Roman soldier's like, what are you doing? You're not required to carry it two miles. He said, but let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about my rabbi Jesus. Let me tell you about what Jesus told me. See, the first mile is obligation. The second mile is where you gain influence. The first mile is what's required of you at work. It's in the second mile, it's in the second mile that your mirror works. It's in the second mile that you image who your father in heaven is. It's through the second mile that people get an angle to be able to see who your father is. It's in that second mile that we image God's glory and his goodness and his love and his care. The first mile is duty and requirement. The second mile is where we get to tell people about who our Savior is. See, people notice the second mile. In Crosspoint, may we be a second mile church. 
that when people say, yeah, you want to hire somebody from Crosspoint, because when you hire somebody from Crosspoint, they're a second mile kind of person. This is not just Crosspoint. This is the kingdom of God. Yeah, when you hire a Christian, you don't just get the first mile. You get the second mile. Jesus, Jesus said, these are, I love you. But Jesus said, <laughs> Jesus said, this is what I'm calling you to. Your work is your ministry. You have a ministry at home. You have a ministry at work. You have a ministry in the church. When you were born, you were given gifts. You were given, you were given natural gifts. When you were born again, you were given spiritual gifts. Spiritual abilities that, that work for the body of Christ. Look with me at Romans, Romans chapter 12, verse 4. It says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, then do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. He lists a lot of gifts here, seven gifts. And then on the other passage in 1 Corinthians and Ephesians, lists out 15 more. We got a lot of gifts hanging out on this screen over here. And this is not an exhaustive list. There, there are more gifts. But you've been given a gift for the body. You have a part to play. And Paul says, all the body parts are important. Nobody wakes up and goes, you know what I want to do today without my left arm, without my right arm. No, we won't. But it's terrifying when you fall asleep like this and you wake up in the middle of the night and your arms are asleep, isn't it? It's just terrifying. You're wondering, will they ever wake up? You're like, I don't want to go through tomorrow like this. I, you're like, what? And, and then the feeling comes back and you're like, yes. I wonder how many parts in the body of Christ have fallen asleep. And God is saying, I just want you to wake up to what I put in you, to use your gifts in the church for the body of Christ. And maybe you're going, I don't know what my gifts are. We put a QR, a QR code on the screen and there's gonna be a QR, there's a QR code in the seat back in front of you. And if you'll scan this code at some time before you leave, it'll lead you, to a, lead you to a page where you can fill out your name, your email address. We're gonna send you a link to a test that you can take, it'll take about five minutes to begin to help you discover what your gifts are and the gifts that God's given you. And we, as a church, we wanna help equip you to do the ministry that God has for you with the gifts that he's placed for you because there are good works that he's prepared in advance for you to do. It's ministry at home, ministry at work, ministry in the church. And then the last one, just quickly, the last one, you, there's ministry around town. Like just as you go. Jesus, one of the things we see with Jesus is like the majority of his ministry doesn't happen in a synagogue. It doesn't happen on a schedule. It happens as interruptions, as interruptions. And there are some who are going to be baptized who are making their way out. Some of you are wondering, this was not like an interruption design. But, but God does some of his best work in interruptions. There's this one moment where Jesus is asleep in a boat <laughs> and a storm comes and the disciples, they wake him up and they interrupt him. He calms the storm. Then he goes over and he, he gets out of the boat and Jairus, the synagogue leader, asks him to come heal his daughter. He interrupts Jesus and Jesus goes with him. And then on the way there, there's a woman who has an issue of blood. She touches the hem of his garment and Jesus heals her. It, just a series of interruption. Some of God's greatest ministry moments in our lives come disguised as interruptions. There are good works that he's prepared for you tomorrow. Problem is, a lot of them are going to look like interruptions. And so it's saying, God, would you help me see 
the ministry that you have for me. That, that, that prayer. God, would you help me see how you want to make a difference in Middle Tennessee through me? And we want to help remind you of that. In fact, we've got a, we've got a, a mirror cling um, with the verse from the series, the key verse from the series. Don't drop it. It says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Maybe it's to put it on your mirror so that you see it every morning so you're reminded God has ministry for me today. Or maybe it's to put it, maybe it's to put it in your locker at school or maybe it's to put it on the refrigerator or maybe it's to put it on a window, on a mirror that you can see to remind you he's got ministry for you. So you'll receive this on the, on the way out today. But sometimes it's through seeing it in a story. And we want to close teaching with a story of how we see when all of those things come together, work, home, family, when all those things come together, um, how a life of ministry impacts eternity. Check this out. When I first met Jeff, I was in Oklahoma City. We ended up getting married in 2019. We had a little girl, her name is Scarlett. She's three years old now. And about a year ago, we sold our house in Oklahoma, packed up our dog and all of our things and headed out east. And um, we landed here in Nashville. Jeff got a job working for Jenny's Ice Cream. And I could never have expected like what was coming next. Jeff started having these really strange, weird symptoms. He would lose his train of thought or we would be eating dinner and he would just like start falling asleep. Well, his symptoms started getting more and more severe. They said, we found a mass in the center of his brain. I said, do you want to do the surgery? And he said, yes. And so Monday morning, March 8th, we were scheduled for surgery first thing in the morning. We were able to celebrate his 42nd birthday together. We celebrated our fourth wedding anniversary together. And he passed July 14th. The Sunday before Jeff's service, they were talking about baptism and what it means to be baptized. I just felt this tugging on my heart that I needed to make a declaration. I want to build my life around God's faithfulness, of God's comfort, of God's grace. I want to do that at Jeff's service. And I said, I would really like to get baptized. That was such a cool moment for me to be able to celebrate with Scarlett by my side. We were able to do a film that tried to capture some of who Jeff was for Scarlett. We shared the video at Jeff's service. And he said in that video, if one person comes to know Jesus, my journey of getting glioblastoma cancer was worth it. Jeff was working for this company, Jenny's, and we had the CFO, the CEO, and the COO from Columbus, Ohio, fly in to honor Jeff and the legacy and the impact that he had on that community. He had this one friend back at work and he was struggling with his faith. 
he came up to me after just service and after being baptized and he gave me a big hug and he goes, I think I was the one that Jeff had been praying for. He has forever impacted my life. He said, I'm gonna choose to be an example for my girls and choose to love others well. And he said, that's what Jeff did. He loved us well. I still have no idea the extent of what God is doing. And I don't think I'll ever know on this side of eternity, if I'm being honest, but my hope moving forward is that I would continue to be the legacy that He left behind, that I would be intentional about serving and being the hands and feet of Jesus to the people around me. God is making us a somebody for His purpose so that one person can come to know Jesus. all of life is ministry, it impacts eternity. And maybe today you are that one person that Carly was talking about. Maybe today is the day you're like, how does all of this start? It begins the moment of you putting your faith and your trust in Jesus. And then you do that and then begin to follow him because he has a ministry for you. And baptism is that next step. It's that step after trusting Jesus. But let's go back to the moment where it all starts putting your faith and trust in Him, receiving that free gift of life with Him. It is by grace we are saved through faith. So I'll lead you in a, in a prayer of faith. And today, if you want to begin to follow Jesus, say yes to Him, then uh, you can let this be your moment. Let's pray together. After we pray, our campus pastor lead us through next steps. Father, we thank you. We thank you for what you've already done and thank you for what you're doing. For those that right now is their moment, to put their trust in you. If that's you and you want to begin to follow Jesus, you can pray something like this. Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. And today, by grace, through faith, I trust you. I give my life to you. Jesus, be the center of my life. I turn from my sin, I turn from my old ways. And I give my broken life to you. For you to make a masterpiece. Thank you for making me new. I want to walk with you here on earth. And spend forever with you in heaven. Thank you for saving me. Father, I pray for those that made that their prayer. Would you give them the courage to tell somebody? Would you give them the courage to take a next step today? as you lead. In Jesus' name we pray.